This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The shark bait has such teeth there, and it shows them pearly white. Just a jackknife has old Maggie Heath, babe, and it keeps it uh, out of sight. You know when that shark bite. So welcome everybody to another episode of Macklin's Take with me, Andy Clark and Matt Macklin, joining you as always. Hope everybody is well. We've made it through January. Well, you've made it through January. By the time you listen to this, it'll be February the 2nd. We're recording on the Friday. So myself, Matt and our guest today have got two more days to go to get through what has been a fairly a fairly bleak month. But unless something very unexpected has happened to any of us uh, over that 48-hour period, then, then we've made it too. It's not been the easiest um, for reasons that everybody's well aware of. We're not going to get into that. That's not why you. That's not why you tune into this into this podcast. Why you do tune in is to see what we're talking about every week. And this week we are addressing a subject which I think will be one that everybody. What well, I don't think I know will be one that everybody can engage with and really identify with and really feel because we're talking about nerves, we're talking about fear, apprehension, whatever you want to call it. And every single person listening to this, without a doubt, will know what that is like. Everybody has experienced it, absolutely everyone, particularly around some kind of performance, whether it be sporting or or just in any kind of work-related context or or musical or theatrical, but it doesn't even need to be that. There are any number of things in your lives that can can cause you to be overtaken at times by nerves. So we all know what that is like. We all know what it can can do. And in sport, obviously, particularly boxing, it is a particular aspect of the of the profession because people talk about fight or flight when we talk about this particular kind of, of fear. Uh, and usually that's a figurative phrase, but in boxing, it's literal. 
because you are actually getting ready to fight. So this will be a boxing specific conversation, but as I say, it's kind of universal because because everybody knows everybody knows that feeling, that terrible, not in the stomach, sick, cold sweat kind of panic that comes over you when you get really anxious about something. And and the really strange thing about it too is often it happens when you're on the brink of doing something that you've always wanted to do. It's that weird kind of dichotomy where you're on the threshold of something you've always wanted. Surely there's nowhere else you would rather be than in this moment. But for that moment when the nerves grip you, there is literally anywhere else you would rather be and anything else you would rather be doing. It's a complex thing. And with that in mind, we've recruited the perfect man to um, to get to the bottom of all of this for us. It's not an easy task. Uh, he was an elite level performer himself, former WBC super middleweight champion of the world, and now a qualified clinical psychotherapist and hypnotherapist. It's Glenn Catley. Glenn, how are you doing? Very well. Thank, thank you. Lovely introduction. Andy, thank you very much. <laughs> and I must point I must point out for people who are um I mean you might see this in the promo, but Glenn's actually in I think what is his study, um, in front of a massive action poster uh, or painting of himself just uh, just away over yeah. his right shoulder. That was back in the day. That's when I actually won the title back May the sixth, two thousand. Many, many years ago now. Against Marcus Bayer. Well, it was a memorable one. It was definitely a memorable one, and I'm sure the nerves were jangling that night. So <laughs> Just to start with, I think a useful way to start would be, it's kind of an abstract thing, this, in that we all know, like I said, what it feels like. If you say to someone, I'm scared, they know what you're talking about. They don't, you don't need to explain it. They might ask you, well, what are you scared of? But they don't need you to explain that feeling. So that, in a way, makes it kind of worse so let, let's sort of try and humanize it a bit because it's not it's not just an abstract thing it's not just a mental thing it's not just in your head it has a physical effect on your body as well so just to kind of strip it back what what are what is this thing that we're talking about here what does it where does it come from what does it actually physically do to you okay well fear is anxiety and basically, it stems from our negative thought patterns. You know, don't get me wrong, we might be faced with a, a scenario, we might be faced with a polar bear. Obviously, your anxiety is going to go up. We might be faced with a life-threatening situation. And obviously, your anxiety is going to go up. And uh, it's understandable that it does. And, and it does that basically to keep us safe because we are still very primitive in many areas of our life. Although we've evolved over the millions and millions of years, we are still predominantly human beings predominantly work subconsciously from the from the subconscious part of our brain and the subconscious part of our brain being the stupid primitive part of our brain if you like it cannot tell the difference between imagination and actuality so let's say we run into a polar bear straight away your subconscious mind is telling you if you don't run you're going to get gobbled up you're going to get you're going to die so it's kind of predicting the worst case scenario if you like you know makes our anxiety go up but that's basically what fear is. And um, anxiety goes up for, for a multitude of reasons, whether it can be a driving exam, a written exam, whether we're going for a job interview, or like I say, we get face-to-face with a, a life-threatening situation. Anxiety can manifest in many, 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 many scenarios. But predominantly, you know, we all work, like I say, is is from our negative thought patterns that we, anxiety, I mean, from a sporting perspective, 
a lot of people negatively forecast the future or negatively introspect about the past. And again, that just increases our anxiety. And when anxiety goes up, we lose what we call intellectual control from the from the left prefrontal cortex, if you like. And when we do that, we go to the primitive part of our brain. And although it's there to look after us and for our self-preservation and everything else, operating from a subconscious part of the brain is not always the, the, the right outcome, if you like. And the, quite often the results can be disastrous. It's interesting what you said there about you can project forward to what might happen or look back at what has happened in the past. And that, I remember talking to a sports psychologist once and, and they said that a real key thing when they're working with athletes is to try to get them to stay absolutely present particularly on the night of a fight don't think about things that you have done because then inevitably you'll think about things you haven't done during camp don't think about what might happen or what could happen just stay second by second almost because what that what that's doing straight away is you're negatively forecasting the future in, in a negative way and when our anxiety goes up as far as your subconscious mind is concerned as either happened happening or it's gonna happen because it simply cannot differentiate it's not that it's not clever enough because it is like i say it's the stupid primitive part of the brain it's where we should function as caveman and caveman basically so in terms of so when you when we'll use particular examples of, of, of your, your careers you two because it's just <coughs> just the most useful thing to do so when you started boxing glenn how do you remember that first feeling of fear basically when you were when you were competing was it the very first day you walked through the door of a gym was it your first bout you know most people could remember i um i can remember going to the empire amateur boxing club my my amateur boxing club was 11 years of age and i probably spoke to the first black man i've ever spoken to in my life if i'm really really honest and um I was, I was anxious about that. I mean, I'm laying my cards online. I'm not, please, I'm not a racist at all, but I spoke to the first black man and I was anxious about that. And then I went to the gym and I was presented with some big, some giant of men. And I was anxious about being in their company and, and yeah, as everybody was. But anxiety, like I say, I, I, I was experiencing many forms. And we, all, we all experience it in many forms, but uh, – <laughs> Going to the gym for the first time at 11 years of age. I was, I was with guys there, a lot bigger than me, a lot older than me, more experienced than everything else. And yeah, for sure, I can remember being nervous. But um, for some reason, I stuck at it and <laughs> managed to overcome those nerves. And uh, yeah, achieve what I did eventually sort of some 25 years later. How about your first fight, though? How did that feel? First time you had to make that walk as an amateur? Nervous, you know, and I'm gonna. If I if I sat here and said I wasn't nervous for every fight I ever had, I'd be lying. I'd be lying again. But some, it's a, it's enabling those nerves to work for you as opposed to against you. And then some people, I mean, Matt Matt would be able to relate to this. I've I've seen guys in the gym, and these trust me, they're the next Muhammad Ali, then the next Mike. These, these guys are the best thing since sliced bread in the gym, and they've got their first competition, their first fight come up. I've actually invited people to come along to see this young kid. Because this is the next, this is the next Olympics champion, and all of a sudden the bell's gone, and all of a sudden I'm watching somebody completely different that I've seen in the gym, and they've kind of fallen apart because under that pressurized environment, that competition situation, they've gone to pieces, and they're completely the, the, the different fight to what to what they are in the gym because they've let the nerves, the anxiety, the fear get the better of them, and. Um, it's a common cause in life, not just in boxing gyms, but a common cause in life. You know, anxiety 
It's very beneficial for us. It keeps us safe. It tells us to run from polar bears. And if we're if we're crossing that road and we look up, and that bus is coming a bit quicker than we anticipate, our anxiety goes up. Tells us to get a jog on. It keeps us safe. It's there for our, like I say, for our self-preservation. But anxiety, in terms of trying to act and perform intellectually, is well, it just doesn't just doesn't work. When we're up subconsciously, sometimes it can be lead us to disastrous results. So, Matt, how about you? Do you remember? Do you remember the first time you were really hit by nerves? Maybe that that kind of that kind of yeah fear because. We talk about the amateur days a lot on this podcast and uh, and everybody admits to it. You know, the example I usually give is Frotch because Frotch just kind of always seems like this bulletproof kind of character. And he said to us about, you know, when he was an amateur at one point, he's sitting on the bench in the dressing room waiting to go out. And he's looking at the open window thinking, I could just jump out of that window and fuck off now. And, and, and you know, what would really, what would that really be so bad? You know, would that... Would that really be so bad? Because in that moment, that was what he wanted to do. Do you remember what it was like when you were starting out? Yeah, because, I mean, absolutely. And and and, and then you, you still get that feeling. Like, you know, as Glenn said there, it, it just comes on you. It, it, it's, you can't, you learn to cope with it. You learn to, um, you get used to it. But it never, it never goes away. I mean, I remember boxing, having a fight in Marbella. Against it was our our show, you know, we, did, we were putting the show on. It was it was literally a complete stay busy fight. I mean, this guy that I was fighting, you know, he'd been he had a very very padded record, something like I don't know seventeen and and eight. But you know, his eight losses, he'd been stopped in all of them. He was terrible as an opponent goes. You know what I mean? This this had one round knockout, absolutely written all over him. I didn't knock him out in the first round. It would have been a disaster. You know what I mean? That's how, this is the worst opponent I ever fought in my career by a million miles. Obviously I wasn't <laughs> overly nervous. I wasn't nervous for the fight, but my adrenaline still went up a notch or two because I'm going in to have a fight. You know, what if I slip? What if he catch? What if he catch? You know, anything can happen in boxing. So even though this was the easiest fight I'd ever had and was ever going to have, there was still the, adre- the adrenaline <laughs> started to pump a little bit. You know, I mean, when I go back to the amateur days, I don't think I was so nervous for my first fight. I think it was more, I was more excited, but I remember the second one, I was definitely more nervous. I remember the second amateur fight I had being really nervous, really feeling, I think maybe because my dad was, was coming to this one, and he wasn't there in the first one. I don't, who knows? But I remember feeling really nervous. And I remember, remember getting into the, climbing up to the steps on the ring. And I couldn't get my leg through the ropes. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, I'm not fit. I'm not fit. I'm knackered. I'm tired already. But I hadn't even started. Of course, I wasn't. It was nothing to do with fitness. It was because my legs were like jelly because I was so nervous. But, you know, you, you, you learn... You get used to it. It never, it doesn't go away. And by the way, I wouldn't want it to go away because the, the times when I probably underperformed was when I, I didn't have enough fear in me. The times when I boxed at the absolute best of my ability was usually the fights where, you know, I had that nerve, I was nervous. You know, I was like, oh, this is this is a tough fight. The adrenaline's pumping it because it makes, it makes your reactions quicker. Everything's sharper as like, you know, because anxiety, it's there to protect us. So it heightens all your senses, all your reflexes. Everything reacts quicker. You're sharper, you hit harder because everything's just firing on all cylinders. Where where you're a little bit more relaxed and you don't have that, 
you, you, you can be slow to get going. You don't react as quickly or, you know, the, you're not, the reflexes aren't as fine-tuned or as sharp. So, you know, that's why sometimes, you know, we talk, we've, we've talked, me and you, Andy, many times about sparring, having hard sparring and how much should you do, what rounds. And, I'm, I, you know, Glenn talked there about kids that you see in the gym who uh, looked a million dollars, but then when it come down to the night of the fight, they were paralysed by fear and couldn't get going at all. I was the opposite. I needed that fear to perform. Do you know what I mean? And that's why I think you don't want crash bang wallop sparring or certainly not too much of it. But if I didn't have good, if I didn't have hard sparring, I'd spar shit. I would drop to that level. Do you know what I mean? If I had tried to have an easy spar, I'd end up getting pinged by someone that I was meant to have an easy spar with. Yeah, if I was, if I was meant to have a hard spar, I'd probably look a million dollars because, and that, and that's all down to that fear that we're talking about, but, you know, fear was my friend. But I understand what Glenn's saying about, because I know people as well, you know, it'd be different people to him, obviously, but I've, I've met people that they looked a million dollars in the gym, but when it come down to it, they couldn't perform. I, I was the opposite of that. So, Glenn, how do you, how do you make it your your friend? Because it's it's a very sharp, double-edged sword this i completely agree that nervous energy is absolutely essential to any kind of performance it's the same with me i, I don't get nervous in a in an, any kind of an obstructive way doing what i do um i have done on occasion you know when you're doing something new it happens to us all uh, but i still want that kind of nervous energy because it because it means that i know that i'm still up for this and i still you know i'm still i still care about it so in a fighting point of view, because it literally is fight or flight, like I said, you know, for most of us, for me, it's figurative. But but for you fellas, that phrase is exactly what it says. So how do you stop these nerves from just taking you over and, and paralyzing you? How do you make it work for you? Hey, hey, ki- hey, kids. Hey, everybody. Sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in health, thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes. It's called the Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen to the Desiring Capital podcast coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go. This is so crazy. It's enabling the nerves to work for you as opposed to against you, you know. And quite often, as that, that example that I gave her, that was exactly what was happening. The nerves were working against the, the guy and the, the guys that I brought people to come and watch. And, and I can relate to exactly what Matt said. You know, in the gym, I wasn't necessarily the best, but under that competition situation, I was the complete reversal to the guy I brought people to come and see. Because, you know, my biggest fear for me was always letting people down. They paid money to come and see me. The biggest fear for me, I mean, don't get me wrong, I I could have broke every bone in my body as long as I got the nod, as long as I got the win, because I was worried, I was fearful of letting people down. That was that was what my biggest my biggest anxieties was just letting people down. The way I overcome that, and I make no secret of this fact, people make a bit of a a taboo and a bit of a joke about it, but I underwent hypnotherapy for the last 10 years of my professional career, and I'm unequivocal, like I said earlier on, 
Now that is why I went as far as I did. I wasn't this. I'm the first one. I wasn't the most naturally gifted. I, I was not the most naturally talented. I know I'm, I'm a sh- I'm, I'm a short squat coming forward. I can say I'm big and I'm not trying to be, but I've always been very naturally blessed with strength. Okay, I've never had to work hard when it comes to arm wrestling or picking up weights or just rest. Boys, when they're boys, they have gang fights when they're kids. Everybody didn't want me on their team because I could I could pick guys out, I could throw them like they were rag dolls because I've always been very physically strong. But um, I, the way I the way I overcome my nerves and got got an established confidence was by using hypnotherapy and by using basic visualization techniques. You know, visualization so underestimated, so underrated visualization, and that's what hypnotherapy is. Now, some people think of hypnotherapy and Paul McKenna's and look into my eyes. It's nothing like that at all. Basically, it's allowing you to visualize the outcomes you want over and over again and train your mind to perform in a way in the ring that you want to perform, you know, by just simply by visualizing it, you know, and, uh, and that's what I was doing. I underwent hypnotherapy for the last 10 years of my career. We'll perhaps talk about this in a bit more detail if you like. But uh, I'm, I'm unequivocal. That I, that's why I went as far as I did as, as a professional boxer. Not because of my skill level, not because of my talent. Yes, I was dedicated. Yes, I wanted it. Yes, my confidence was always there because of hypnotherapy. And that's why I believe I went as far as I did. Glenn, when you say hypnotherapy, in that process, would you have been kind of reprogramming or, or, or training the subconscious part of your brain? Yeah, Absolutely. We don't normally, we all, if we, we can split the brain into two, we have the intellectual mind, the left prefrontal cortex, and we have the subconscious part of the mind, which we work from 95% of the time, right? Which is why you're nodding and, you know, you're acknowledging me what I'm saying now. We all work predominantly subconsciously. Sadly, though, we, and we don't normally have access to the subconscious part of our mind, okay? By putting somebody into a deeply relaxed state of body and mind, and that's all hypnotherapy is, putting somebody into a deeply relaxed state of body and mind, it allows the therapist, if you like, and ourselves to have access to the subconscious part of our mind. Now, by visualizing the outcomes that we want over and over and over and over again, we can almost train the mind as if as if we were physically doing it, okay? The first time I used it was back in, from my British title fight against Neville Brown. I was coming off a defeat. Okay, I was severely dehydrated. I won't, I won't bore you with the details. I was coming off a defeat. I was severely dehydrated when I lost. Fortunately, the Boxing Board of Control still allowed me to remain the mandatory challenger to face Neville Brown, January 98. Okay, and I was so lucky to be, you know, to still be handed this opportunity to still be, be to remain the mandatory challenger. As a former sparring partner with Steve Collins, and he kind of plays it down a little bit now, but Steve Collins underwent clinical hypnosis to the build-up and preparations to his fights with the Eubanks and the Nigel Benz and so on and so forth. Sparring with Steve on a day-to-day basis in the Channel Islands jersey for six, seven, eight weeks at a time, I could see the days that he had it, and I could see the days that he hadn't. And it was so obvious. And people said, well, how? I said, listen, it was so, you could see it straight away. Because if Steve Collins walked in the gym and acknowledged you and spoke to you, whew, that was a sigh already. Because that means he hadn't had this hypnotherapy stuff. And tell me, let me tell you, we're going to have to dig deep. We're going to earn our money. If Steve Collins walked in the gym, and to be honest with you, he just kind of he, he was quite rude, just kind of blanked you, ignored you. That's when me and the other sparring partners used to look at each other and cry, here we go. He's had this hypno stuff. We're going to have to really dig deep today. It was like I say. I I, I sparred with Steve for three, both the Nigel Ben fights and the, uh, the Neville Brown fight. Consequently, um, I could see the benefits. Yeah, 
So invariably, when I got my opportunity for the British title fight, I was coming off a defeat. Everybody wrote me off. The writers, the critics, the pundits. Nobody gave Glenn Kelly much of a chance. And you can understand that. I got beat by this unknown Hungarian, Andreas Golfi. They wrote me off. And my confidence was shot. I honestly thought before this, before giving us landed this opportunity, I thought my career was done. We landed the chance to fight Brown. I thought I've got nothing to lose. My confidence is shot. This therapy stuff, it seemed to work for Steve Collins. Just maybe, just maybe it can work for Glenn Catley. Now, you can call this fate. You can call this an act of God. I picked up the yellow pages, and there was page after page of therapist. I made one phone call, and I came across a guy called David Newton, who is now one of the most respected practitioners in the United Kingdom. Founded his own training schools, Clifton Practice Hypnotherapy Training. Um, I phoned him up. I said, hi, my name is Glenn Catley, local boxer. You probably heard about it in the local press. I got beat in my last fight. The reasons are X, Y, Z. I've now, however, got the biggest fight of my life, the British middleweight title fight against a great champion, Neville Brown, who's not been beaten by a British fighter for seven years. I said, I've experienced this hypnotherapy stuff as a former sparring partner with Steve Collins. We all know it kind of worked for him. I'm just wondering, would you be willing to see me? The following week, I went round and we sat down and dare I say, I had my first initial, if you like, consultation with David Newton. And we actually went to work for the British title fight straight away not just in the gym, all the punching all the bags on the road, all the thousands of miles we run on the couch now I say this now when I started seeing David Newman as I, as I explained earlier on, my confidence was shot I thought my career was finished when I eventually boxed Neville Brown in January 1998, walking out to that ring although I'm written off by the writers the critics, nobody really gave me much of a chance let me tell you this and again I mean it in all sincerity you could have put three Mike Tysons in that ring some way, somehow. I knew in my mind, bang, 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 I would have smashed all three of them. And people often say, how'd you do it? How'd you? It was so, so simple. Because at the end of every trance state visualization session I had with David Newton and by myself, I'd end up doing that with the champion, British championship belt above my head over and over. I'd done it so many times that eventually the subconscious part of my mind could see no other outcome than that. And with that, guess what came up with it? Confidence. Now, people, I can understand, could look and listen to that, what I've just said, and think, well, that's brilliant, Glenn. That's a lovely story and really enjoyed that. However, it sounds a bit simple for this to, to, for this, for, for this to work. It's because it's simple, this stuff does work. Okay, and I'm, like I said earlier on, I'm unequivocal. That's why I underwent it for the last 10 years of my professional career. And that's why I achieved the results that I did with not my ability, not my skill level. I was strong. I was game. My confidence levels were there. And it was improved my skill factor without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, I'll explain to you how I was able to do that if you want me to, you know, with the, with the therapy as well. Are you interested? you want me to talk about that as well? We'll get to, yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that a little bit, a little bit later. I mean, it's, so Matt, what's really interesting for me about that is that obviously there's a lot of physical preparation that goes into in, in, into preparing for a fight. And, and that physical preparation is linked to the kind of mental preparation, because if the physical goes well, then that can help keep doubts and fears at bay that are going to play around in your mind. But mental preparation is, is every bit as important. Uh, and Glenn found a technique that worked for him. Did you have anything in particular? Did you have any techniques that you would use, any process that you would 
go through when you hit fight week, for example, because these are things that people think about a lot now, which maybe they didn't when you were starting out, what, 20 years ago? Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't do it uh, the week at a fight. I'd, I'd, I'd be doing it from six and eight weeks out. You know, I'd, I'd have like a, I'd, I had a, like a, a playlist of songs which, you know, reminded me of times when I was successful or, you know, really positive memories when I was an amateur or a certain performance that reminded me of, uh, you know, or of a certain fight that was a really positive thing. All these positive uh, times when I performed really well. And I put that on a playlist. And once I was training for the fight, I'd, you know, every morning I'd get up and have the breakfast. Then I'd go and chill out on the bed. I'd close my eyes. I'd have the room dark and I'd put the, the CD on. And I'd listen to, you know, probably 50 minutes an hour. And I'd do, like Glenn said there, I'd just visualise myself in the changing rooms, walk into the ring, the fight, everything. Um, you know, and, it, and even, even I'd put myself even in the hardships, maybe looking back in terms of the, the, the exercise of the visualisation, maybe wasn't the right thing to do because maybe that's why I attracted so many hard fights. But, you know, it was I was putting myself there and coming through it you know, so that I was mentally prepared to go to the well, you know, that because if you haven't gone there in your mind, it's hard to go, you know, you, ultimately your body will do what your mind tells it to do. And it's like, a, it's like complacency or, you know, someone when you when they say, oh, well, you know, he wasn't up for it and the other guy boxed out of his skin. It's like, if, if, if you're not mentally prepared for a fight, you, you it's very hard to go there on the night, but if you've built up to this, like you say, it, listen, it's mind, body, and soul. They go hand in hand a little bit, I believe. It's like everyone everyone talks these days about see it, believe it, achieve it. The key part to that is the believing it. That's the key part. Everyone visualizes, everyone dreams, but it's the, it's the believing it that makes it happen. And for me, the thing that makes the belief there is the action. You know, it's you know. I don't think I could have just sit there on a, on the bed visualizing it and training, not really go, putting it in in the in the gym training and, and cutting corners. Then, then really, I'd know that I was bullshitting myself. So I could have done all the visualization in the world, but if I didn't believe the visualization, it wouldn't happen. But when, the, but as, as it goes, they kind of go hand in hand because the times when. I was taking the hour out and I was sitting there every day and I was listening to the music. Those were the fights where my mind was in the right place. I was going to the gym. I was smashing my personal best on the track. I was smashing it on the circuits. I was sparring hard and sparring well. You know, that's when the belief came there. Then my confidence was sky high. So, you know, it's not just about the dream. It's not just about the visualising, although that is a mass. That's the first part. But for me... To, have to, to to really believe the visualizations that they could come true, I had to put the action in. I had to, you know, it, it, it all went together for me. It was, and I'm, and I'm sure Glenn can confirm that too. But the fact that I was sitting down, spending the hour visualizing, shows it meant my mind was meant I was taking the fight serious. You know what I mean? And then everything else goes well after that. Two two key things you you hit upon there, which really resonated with me. Confidence, your you, you your confidence was there, and your confidence was there because you you prepared yourself mentally, prepared you visualized the the outcome you wanted over and over and over again, and all that done was to make you have rock solid, concrete proof confidence. Okay, the other thing as well, what was gonna what was gonna say? Um, 
It's okay. The visualizing was great and it's the first massive part, but if I didn't put the action in after it, then yeah. I wouldn't then I wouldn't really believe it. Then I just think oh, I was dreaming. But That's if I put the action in and I and you know all those things you don't want to do in training. Oh, that guy that come down and he it's a hard spar. I don't really want to spar him, but rather spar the other guy because that's an easy spar. But I know sparring the tough one. And going there and, and having a better and, and, and coming back the next day, doing it again, doing it again. Yeah. That's took me up to that next level. Yeah. And I've, I've just remembered now, just come back to me. Ultimately, we both wanted it. We both wanted it so, so much. And like I said earlier on, they could have broke every bone in my body as long as I got the nod, as long as my, my arm was being lifted at the end of the, end of the night. You know, We both wanted it. And for, for, for success in whatever you do, you've got to really want something bad, unless you're lucky. Unless you're lucky, but but you're not going to get nervous about something you don't care about, and that's what I meant when I was referring to this at the start. Is that you're you, you when you want something really badly, that is potentially when the nerves and the fear and the destructive aspect that they can bring can be at their worst because you're not going to invest that amount of energy in something that you don't that you don't give a shit about. So you're standing there on the ramp for your ring walk against Marcus Bayer or Richie Woodall and any of your other big fights and. I mean, the ring walk, the, the walk from the dressing room to the ring, that seems to me to be potentially a real key passage because that that's, I mean, we've all seen fighters who in the build-up to a fight seem confident. And it might not be real, but I've seen fighters who, who have, who've convinced me that their confidence is real. And then they get the knock on the dressing room door and you watch it, you literally watch it drain out of them in that three or four minutes. I mean, how, how key is that as a visualization process that, that war? I think the, 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 something that resonates with me when you mentioned that, and I think a key fact, Frank Bruno, when he fought Mike Tyson, he walked to the ring and yeah, he's doing the crook praying God. He was asking God for help. Basically. And I thought he, you could see the conference as he was walking towards the ring, which is being sapped away from him because Mike was able to get into his head and put those negative thoughts there. Um, negativity of any description is going to always increase our anxiety. And when like I say, when our anxiety goes up, we lose intellectual control, like I said earlier on, where we, where we want to be. And the subconscious primitive mind kicks in and takes over. And now, although, we, like I said, we all work pre pre predominantly subconsciously, when we are relying on our subconscious mind to come up. I'll give you an example. Neville Brown, we know he was a great boxer. If I'd have chosen to challenge Neville Brown with my boxing skills, he would have absolutely destroyed me. Okay, my biggest asset, in my, in, I believe, in my game, I was I was strong. Okay, and I thought, I mean, ideally, I would have liked to have fought Neville Brown in a telephone box because you know the guy was a better boxer than me. I thought if I give him space, he's going to play with me. He's going to box my. I've got to jump on Neville Brown. I've got to I've got to fight him, not box him. I've got to fight Neville Brown. That was the only way I was going to beat him. I jumped on him for round one and there I never give him, I, I was on him. Bang, bang, bang from, from round one until when he got stopped at the beginning, you know, and he didn't come out for the ninth frame. I was on him. If Neville Brown, okay, if things have gone is because I'm basically, I visualized that fight over and over again, exactly every scenario you could, you could imagine, but I visualized what I was going to do and I, and I exploited it and I, and I, and I executed it during the night. Neville Brown's, invariably he had a get he had a strategy he had a game plan to fight me 
but the bell rang and this little short fat bull fella from Bristol jumped on like a steam train and all of a sudden Neville Brown's gone well hang on this ain't part of the script what's happened his anxiety's gone up okay he's lost intellectual control and next thing he's fighting he's in his fight and flight response but he's not boxing as well as we know he could have done because his anxiety's gone up on the flip side if Neville Brown you know if, if my my anxiety, what I'm trying to say, is was completely under control for the full duration of the fight, okay? Because I, I even visualised getting hit, but I knew he was such a good fighter, he was going to have his moments of success. You can't expect not to get hit. We're in a boat, we're in a fight. And I even, you know, I visualised getting hit by Neville Brown. And with the Marcus Byer fight when I won the world title, <coughs> I knew what a great puncher he was. And I'd experienced being almost knocked out many, well, knocked out and knocked out, not almost being knocked out many times. I knew how to replicate that. I actually visualised Marcus Byer hitting me so hard and boxing, if you like, on co-pilot. And thank God I'd done that because in the second round he hit, he hit me so hard. I can't remember round three, four, or five. If I'm brutally honest, I've lost all my peripheral vision. But this is how powerful the subconscious part of our mind is. Because although I was always knocked out and comatized. My subconscious mind knew what good to come up with, and I was boxing. He didn't realize how badly hurt I was, is the point I'm trying to make. If he did, he would have jumped on me, would have closed the show in no time whatsoever, but he just didn't realize. And like I say, this is how powerful the subconscious part of our mind is by using, again, and it's so underrated and underestimated, visualization techniques. That, that's interesting, Matt, because I think sometimes when people think about visualization they have this idea that you're running through your mind this highlight reel of everything going absolutely perfectly i'm going to get in there box flawlessly stop him late win the title happy days um and they might have this idea that visualizing bad things happening would be too much of a downer too negative and you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily go there but but as glenn says you know this is this is a fight you are going to get hit that's in the post. You might have a night where you don't once in a while, but you have to think about all of these things. I mean, that that's I find that quite quite interesting that you would kind of go through in your mind what's going to happen when he absolutely nails me. I knew it was going to happen. I knew that Neville Brown was going to have his fair share of, of successes during the fight. But guess what? Even though the moments he had his successes, guess what? My anxiety stayed at a constant because I was prepared for that. I knew that he was going to have his moments of success and I was prepared for that and I kept my anxiety at a complete constant. Neville Brains, however, when I jumped on him, his went through the roof and he wasn't operating within his templates, you know, his, his templates, So, which he'd invariably trained to fight me, okay? We all, we all come up with punches, combinations, strategies, templates, and we and I visualized them over and over again. So when Neville Brown, and I'll share it, if you don't mind me sharing this one with you, because the first time we used therapy, okay? And I said to my therapist from day one, and I said this sort of on, if I choose to box him, he's gonna he's gonna play with me. I've got to jump on him, don't give don't give him an inch, and I've got to really have a fight with Neville Brown, not boxing match a fight. I realized by watching videos, he relied very much on his lead jab, okay? If he was gonna throw a right hand, the jab would come first. And I thought, how can I make that make him afraid of throwing that knee jab? Why came up with, and it's difficult to explain this on the screen, but when he jabbed, I slip, the jab goes over my shoulder, and I count it with an uppercut. Slip, bang. Okay, does that kind of make sense? Hopefully so. 
by visualizing that shot over and over and over. And they say to become an expert at anything, you've got to do it for 10,000 hours. Well, we always got the chance to do that. But by visualizing that shot over and over and over again, I was programming my mind. And the scary thing is here is that when Neville Brown jabbed me, I wasn't thinking about it. It's automatically, I just went slip, bang. You know, I mean, I'll give you an example. And if you went to your kitchen now, you opened up a cupboard, let's pretend a glass tip-tack began before. What would you do? I'd catch it, hopefully. Reach out and catch it. And I'd give Matt, and like, Matt, you're driving your car down the road. Hundred, well, 10 yards in front, there's a young mother holding a young infant. The infant lets go of its mum's hand, walks into the road. What would you do? Slam on the brakes, wouldn't you? Breaks down. When you see the glass falling, do you have to say to yourself, there's a glass falling, I've got to elongate my arm, extend my fingers, and Matt, you just react. Matt, when you see the child walking, do you have to say to yourself, there's a child on the road, I've got to turn my foot off the accelerator, I've got to move it to the left, I've got to engage it, but you don't, you just react. Where does this reaction come from? The subconscious. You, it comes from the subconscious part of our brain. We're not born with this reaction. It's something we've all educated ourselves to do, given a certain response to the situation to avoid the glass from smashing or, God forbid, the child from getting knocked down. And it allows us all to react around a fraction of a second, okay? The only, in fact, the only two fears human beings are generically programmed with. Do you know what they are? The only two fears humans are programmed with? Falling and noise. That's the only two fears that programs are born with, okay? We educate ourselves, we teach ourselves we, we, we teach ourselves to be scared of flying, heights, needles, doctors, enclosed spaces, and so on and so forth. But we also program ourselves to catch that glass, hit the brakes, because when I said this earlier on, we work predominantly 95% of the time subconsciously. Now, by that shot, by, by doing that uppercut, I mean, my therapist called it the mongoose. Let's do the, the mongoose. They call it the mongoose. The, I'll explain that another time. When Neville Brown jabbed me, just as instinctively as catching that glass or hitting the brakes. My, I wasn't there saying, wait for the jab, wait. I instinctively, when the jab came out, I went, slip, bang. Can you see the benefits in sport and performance of acting, of just act, doing something naturally and instinctively, like that, from, 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 from a shot from your opponent? It was, it was crazy, if you like, how in control I felt on the night against Boxing Neville Brown, who was a great champion and a great fighter. I think, I think always when we're training for fights, Glenn, I think, you know, in a fight, everything's happening that quick. As you say about the, the, the glass falling out of the fridge or you slam on the right, you haven't got time to think about it. If you think about it, you've missed it. It's gone. You, you know, we're, yeah. we're talking top class fighters here. If you have to think about it, you've already missed it. It just has to happen. And the reason why it just happens is because yeah. you've been doing it every day, day in, day out for the last six, eight weeks practicing drills, repetition, repetition, repetition. It's boring, it's mundane. Sometimes it's very basics, but the basics done well or the basics done very well or the basics done excellent can be the difference in winning and losing. You're talking tiny, in sport, you're talking tiny, tiny fractions and training. It's like you're just rehearsing it. You're just rehearsing the fight before the fight and then, on the night, it just happens. You ain't got time to think about it under the heat of the battle. It just happens, and that's the same as what you do brain. And the point I'm trying to make, Matt, I didn't have to, because it was programmed in me that 
I like catching the glass or hitting the brakes. When he jabbed, I just went slip, bang. It was just programmed in me. Sometimes, I mean, there's limitations to physical practice. And I'm saying that because sometimes we simply haven't got the time to own our skills, to prepare, to practice the shots we want to perform against other people. Sometimes it puts too much of a physical strain on our bodies to achieve the results that we're actually looking for. Whereas lying down, relaxing, closing your eyes and visualizing the outcome you want over and over, we can almost train the brain as if we are physically doing it. Now, I'm not saying for one second, I can walk into Bristol City Centre, see a big, fit, strong, younger guy, say, come here, buddy, a little bit of visualization. Two weeks time, you're going to knock out Anthony Joshua. You know, it, it doesn't work like that. We know this. The point I'm trying to make is that there are limitations to physical practice, whereas lying down and visualising the outcome we want, we can almost come up with exactly the same results. But they go hand in hand, don't they, Glenn? You know, Absolutely. like I say, the seeing, yeah. the believing, the, 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 the key, I think the key part in manifesting your dreams and your, your desires, it's the believing it and the belief comes Absolutely. from putting the action in. And, and it, that, you know what I mean? Yeah. That, that's where it really, that, that's the key ingredient. <laughs> Installing the confidence there to be able to exploit that and, and, and deliver it, given us you know whatever whatever situational scenario you you're faced with. And I think as well, from, from me personally, it was a case of we talk you know going back to fear. It's like don't deny the fear, embrace the fear. You know yeah. you, you, you've got it. There's no point pretending I'm not scared or I'm not nervous or I'm not having doubts. No, no, that, that's natural. Of course, you're going to have that. Embrace it and use it to your strength. Don't don't be scared of it. Don't be scared of being scared. It's okay to be scared. You know, is the customer Mike Tyson? You see the footage when he was crying. He was a kid, an amateur, and he told him, "Listen, the hero and the coward feel exactly the same. They're both scared, but it's what the hero does that makes him the hero, and what the coward doesn't do that makes him the coward. There's no difference in how they feel. It's what it's how they deal with it." Absolutely right. That's right. So, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree. You could be the fittest, you could be the fastest, you could be the strongest athlete in the world. If this ain't in the right, if they're in, in the, on the same wavelength as all those physical attributes, they're relative, they're pointless. This is key. And I'll, I'll live with that for the, and, I'll, and I'll stick with that for the rest of my life. This is key. You know, I, I, I want the best, but sometimes you don't have to be to achieve the results you want. You have to work hard. I'm no one saying you can. You know, so I, one thing I will take you to the ground. I want the best. And I've said that many times. I know I have. But I worked really, really hard. No doubt Matt did exactly the same. Without a shadow of that, he done exactly. We worked so, so hard to achieve the things we did when our chosen sport, you know. But um, yeah, confidence, key, but hard work in second. That's, you know, there's no, there's no substitute for hard work. It's been really interesting to hear you talk about the the conscious and the and the subconscious because I remember going down to Adam Boo's gym to see Ryan Burnett probably about three or four years ago. Um, I think he just won his first world title against Lee Haskins and he was about to unify. And he was saying to me that basically that he'd been boxing that long because he started when he was four from that you know tough Belfast amateur school where they're very well taught, very well coached, and he'd been very dedicated. He said, "I'm at the point now where." For three minutes of the round, I can switch off to my subconscious and my boxing will flow. I know what to do. I've been doing this that long that it's ingrained in me that it will, I will do the right things. In between rounds, I'll then turn my conscious mind back on so I can listen to Adam Booth. And I thought to myself, 
that tied in with something I just read. So I kind of, I bought into that. But at the time, I remember thinking to somebody else, to a lot of people, that might sound very far-fetched that you can do something like that. It all just sounds a bit odd, doesn't it? A bit, right, so you're in this trance-like state, boxing, not really having to concentrate. That's mental. But I mean, do you, I mean, that's a real thing. You can achieve that, can you? Hey everybody, this is Moto G Pete from the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize, and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model, and style that could possibly exist, plus news and racing. That's the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast from Moto One Podcast Network Studios. Give you a share a couple of examples with you. <laughs> This isn't me making these up. These are documented stories. Back in the 70s, <coughs> Harvard University carried out an experiment where they had, they had a group of non-basketball playing students. And they first of all assessed their abilities in shooting baskets with the ball. And, and then they split them into two groups where one group was obliged to go to school every single day for, and, and improve by physically shooting baskets with the ball. The other group didn't go near near a court. They didn't even touch a basketball, but they were obliged to go to a quiet room with blankets and pillows, lie down, close their eyes, relax, and visualize of shooting baskets with the ball. They've done this for an hour every single day for a week. Now, after a week of doing this, they were brought together and their skill value was once again reevaluated. Now, who do you think improved the most? The ones that done it physically, shot the balls, or the ones that visualized it? The ones who actually did it physically. They were exactly the same. Okay. They improved. The improvement was, bear in mind, these were non-basketball playing students, but the improvement was exactly the same. Okay. One more example. If you don't mind me sharing it, this goes back to the Vietnam War. And again, this is a documented story. There was a colonel captured and put into solitary confinement for seven years in Vietnam. And now, we're talking the most inhumane, hard conditions imaginable, you know, to, to human mankind. Before he's enlisted, before he's enrolled to go to Vietnam, he's what we call a scratch golfer, which if you don't know it, is like like zero, it's good as Matt, good as Matt plays, I bet, but like a zero handicap. Okay, brilliant golfer, almost professional standard. Went to Vietnam shortly after he was captured. Upon his release, Within the first week, he was invited to play a golf tournament at his local golf club. And we're now talking a man probably four or five, half the stature he was before. He turned up and he played 18 holes to exactly the same standard he had seven years prior before going into captivity. And everyone went, how on earth have you done that? You had swung a club for seven years. He said, I play golf every day, twice a day in my my mind now invariably that's what kept his handicapped his muscle memory and so on and so forth well, that's and invariably that's what got him through the real tough times of captivity but this is where again visualizing the outcome he wanted over and over again he was able to keep the handicap to exactly the same standard he'd had before like i said i'm not saying for any i can walk in and just say come here buddy a bit of visualization there's me and you we're going to become world champions in three weeks time but it doesn't work like that we know this but people underestimate how beneficial visualization is. And I, you know, I'm adamant and I will take it to the grave of me. I only achieved what I did the, the, for two reasons. Visualization, visualizing the outcomes I wanted over and over again. And number two, because my confidence was always there. I wasn't, always, I wasn't the best. I knew I wasn't the best, but it didn't matter. 
my confidence was always at sky high, walking into each and every fight subsequently from after hypnotherapy sessions. So Matt, yeah, I mean, there's no, the thing with this, I was going to say, the thing with this is, it, it, it's, and, and, and Glenn touched on it there, it's, there's no absolute with it, as in like, you know, if, you, if you've got no talent or you haven't got the hand-to-eye coordination or you're not physically strong, you know, you can't, but it's a massive factor. It's, it's a really sort of probably underplayed factor, that mental, the confidence, the belief, you know, I suppose it's, it's the belief. We can call it whatever you want, but I think for me, I would say it's the belief, you know, Glenn said confidence. It's the same thing, but it, with that, it, there has to be a fit for me. There's a physical element. The visualization is key, no okay. doubt. Yeah, but the yeah. physical element, as in the action, as in the training, like you know, that that's a big part too. It, they go hand in hand. And you know, I want to talk about you know training, the repetitions, and the way you can't think about it on the night of the fight. It just has to happen instinctively. Yeah. Obviously, you're in the ring and you're thinking and you've got your tactics and you're switched on. But you know, at the same at the same time. It's already got to be programmed into you. these, and, and then it's just reacting with whichever kind of situation. You, you know, these all these eventualities have been programmed into you during the course of six and eight weeks building up to the fight. Yeah, I agree one hundred percent. And as you rightly say, the two go hand in hand. Obviously, you you can't just visualize without training. You have to train. You have to apply yourself. And as I said earlier, one thing I know and I will take to the grave with me, I wasn't the best, gritted, talented, or, or naturally gifted. I worked hard for it. And no doubt, Matt, you did exactly the same. We, we trained our ass off to achieve the results that we did. You know, and um, and that's something I I was, you know, I would take to the grave with me. Because, Glenn, if you, if you didn't put the action in, you're just a dreamer. Oh, 100%. But, yeah. We're, we're all dreamers. I'm a dreamer. You're a dreamer. But then we put the action in every single day, even when we didn't want to do it. When, when I couldn't be asked, I still did it because that's making the dream happen. And bearing in mind, we've done this not for two or three weeks. We've done it since we were 11, 12 years of age. Like I, I started 11 years of age. You know, I won the world title when I was 24. Um, We've done it, and we, and we continue to do it. You know, to, to this day, in different areas of our life now, different strategies, we still apply those sort of same ethics, if you like, and those those same responses, I guess, if, if you want to call them that. Another thing that people can do to try and combat nerves is they can be quite kind of ritualistic, as in there might be certain superstitions they have or or just they like things done a certain a certain way. Do you... Do you find that kind of approach to it, uh, as as it, with your professional hat on, not necessarily personally? Maybe you had some superstitions, maybe you didn't. But is that a helpful thing to it's to think about? It was never my bag. It was never my bag. Anything like that. But if it works, it works. Every one of us are individual. Every one of us are different. If just having a toy teddy bear in his in his bag that his nan gave him for twenty years, if that helps him in any way, shape, or form, what you know. What's the, what's the harm in it? If it's going to, it's not a negative, is it? It's a positive. So if, if it works, it works. Everyone's different in every way, shape, or form. I think there's, when it comes to rituals, I think there's power in rituals, without a doubt. But the thing, and I'm like, it was never really my bag because I thought, what about when all, the, all these exterior conditions, which I can't necessarily always control, go wrong? Is that then going to send me into a negative 
frame of mind and I start thinking, oh shit, it's not my night, that didn't happen, you know, and I start getting too superstitious. So I thought, you know, early, because I used to be a little bit superstitious, if I'm in the red corner as an amateur, that's a good sign. I thought, well, and after a bit, I thought, well, fuck me, I'm in the blue corner, I'm going to start getting nervous, I'm going to start thinking negative. So from that point on, I thought, I'm going to have to fuck these superstitions off because I can't control them. You know, I don't want to suddenly put myself into a negative frame of mind when the, the superstition didn't go my way. So I just think, I think there is power in ritual. But I think for me, I always thought, nah, you just, you've just got to adapt and adjust because you never know when you could get thrown a curveball. It could be the biggest night of your life. And all of a sudden then you start thinking, oh shit, it's all going to go wrong. And that's the last place you want to be. Bottom line is, when we lose internet control, Okay, when we lose internet control, which I said around, which is where we want to be, because that's when we make the right choices, the right decisions, the right action. When we lose internet control, and it's a primitive opt-out clause, we react to one of three ways, which is depression, anxiety, or anger, or a combination of all three. And like I said, they are primitive opt-out clauses. Okay, and it's where that came managed to function as K-man and K-woman all those millions of years ago. Ideally. We want, to, we want to retain internet control as best we can. Or, and I think we, we operate from your subconscious mind. Yes, but the two have to work hand in hand, okay? My anxiety went up, okay? And I've said this earlier on, and I'm perhaps just repeating myself now, but if my anxiety went up, remember, I, I was losing that fight, okay? Because I'm going to become anger. I'm going to start having more negative thoughts. Neville Brown, you could see it from around sort of one onwards, if you like, that the fight was not going to script. His anxiety was increasing throughout the fight, and he was... He was making mistakes, and I was capitalizing on that, and I was able to sort of, if you like, take control of the fight, not just physically, but psychologically as well. So there's just there's, there's one more kind of area I'm keen to get into with Glenn. Matt's, Matt's got to slide off in, uh, well, about now, actually. Um, so if you can hear us. Ah, oh, well, he's, he's hanging on for us, which is, which is great, which is great. So I mentioned earlier on this conversation I had with with Ryan Burnett, which I found interesting. And at the same time as that, or just before that, um, I read this book, although it's only about 100 pages long, which Customato used to make his fighters read, called Zen in the Art of Archery. And what it's about, basically, is how does an archer know when to release the arrow? You, you, you draw the bowstring back. How does he know when to release the arrow? And you can apply this to all sorts of things. Like, how does a fighter know when to let a certain punch go? How does a golfer know when to, you know, address the ball? Uh, how does a darts player know when to release the dart? The point of release in sport is is everything a lot of the time. Uh, and the conclusion it, it drew was that basically, long story short, you've got to do it and 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 do it until you get to the point where it just happens. You have to think about it. And, an you, and you don't even... You don't even have to think about it. But what I thought about off the back of that is sometimes athletes later in their career hit this kind of mid-career total crisis where they get what where they get what is called the yips, and that that's a mental thing. They can't hit that point of release. They overthink it and they can't hit that hit that point of release. I mean, have you ever have you ever dealt with anybody who's who suffered from that, or do you know? I mean. It just, it's just a really interesting thing, isn't it? That you think you've got this thing under control and then all of a sudden you haven't. No, I, and I go along with exactly what you're saying. Yeah, and invariably there are people that suffer with this. I've never... Seen Don't it, isn't that something that happens to dance players? They can't release the dart. Yeah, yeah, it does, yeah. 
<laughs> I've never experienced it myself. You know, thank you. maybe if I just go on and on a bit too long, I don't know. That may they may encounter that, but fortunately, I don't think I ever suffered from that. Um, something I never encountered. I've never treated anybody for that. If I'm honest with you. Um, yeah, but invariably, and I agree, it, it must happen. It will, and it does happen. And again, they're thinking about things too much. They're, you know, and it's a negative thought. What if it goes to the left? What if it goes to the right? What if it goes too far? What if it, not far enough? We've all done this. We've all picked up a piece of paper. We've all seen a waste paper bag. And we've all remained and think we've all just gone bang and gone straight in. And we've all done this. We've picked it up and we've, we've gone. We thought of it. it could go, we've overthought it. And we've missed. Now, what's the difference between the first thing, just naturally doing it, bang, it's gone. What's the difference? What's the difference the second time when, when we've, we've missed? The second time, we've overthought it, which is invariably what you're talking about now. Okay, they've overthought it. They can go to the left, they can go to the right, could go too far, not far enough. It's a negative thought. What does that do? Negativity always, always, always increases anxiety and it affects our performance dramatically. Yo, I'm DK, co-host of the One Star Recruits podcast. My best friend, Rip, and I host five-star athletes, celebs, business leaders, comedians, and coaches from around the world. Each week, I can guarantee you the show will always have great laughs, catch up on life's in relatable ways, and have a ton of fun. We're recruiting you. We are the One Stars, which means we can ask the questions that no other podcast asks to guests like Joey Chestnut, Evander Holyfield, Bobby Hurley, Jenny Finch, Ryan Lochte, Montel Jordan, New guests every week, compelling interviews that you want to hear. Check us out wherever you get podcasts, One Star Recruits. So when when it came to your your discovery of, of, of hypnotherapy, I mean, you, you explained to us how it happened, having been around Steve Collins. Um, are you surprised that more people don't go down that particular route do you think people are still a bit suspicious of it for whatever reason not, not sports people now boxers included are seeing therapists you know they're seeing sports psychologists but let me tell you what they do what hypnotherapists do is exactly the same however hypnotherapy because of the paul mckenna's and the darren brown's to a degree they make a mockery of the show look into my eyes look into my eyes and stage your hypnotherapy can i can i share a little a very quick story and i promise i'll be as quick as i can True story, I was 21 years of age. Went away on one of my first lads on a, on a day abroad to a place called Ben Martinos in Spain. I had a four in the air then, Matt. I was as good looking as you to be back in the day. Two weeks of righteousness, not a care in the world. Okay, first week there, me and my mate walking around from the beach, like my free mates. We seen this bar advertising stage show hypnosis, and it looked hilarious. There were pictures of people doing all kinds of funny things. We thought, that's us. We'll have some of that tonight. We went back to the apartment. We got shit shaped and showered. Pack of Rabanda. Out we go. What we thought looking a million dollars. And a pair of white 501 jeans, if I remember right. Anyway, we had a few beers. We eventually get to this bar, okay? There was probably 350 people in this bar. This stage show hypnotherapist came out, started asking the questions to the audience. Has anybody ever done this? Yeah, I've done that, yeah. Has any, yeah, I've done that. Because the only seats available, guess where they were? Right in the front. Who sits in them? Me and my mates. Right in the front. 
the therapist starts asking the audience, you know, to come up and be part of his act. Who volunteers? Catney. Gets up on the stage. He said, what's your name? He said, I said, Glenn Catney. Where are you from, Glenn? I'm from, from Bristol. Where? How old are you? I'm 21. Right, this is what's going to happen. You're going to look into my eyes. I'm going to count to 10. I'm going to click my fingers. Upon the count of 10, you're going to fall asleep. I'm then going to count to a further 10, click my fingers for the second time. When I do that, you're going to wake up. I'm going to have complete control of your mind. And guess what? I went, all right. One, two, three, four, five, sleep. And I fell out. One, two, wake up. And I woke up, pan face. He said, Glenn, in this bar of 300 plus people, go to the end of the stage, take all your clothes off, down to your pants and socks. Guess what? Off I went, naked. Glenn, cluck like a chicken. Glenn, walk like a grunt. Glenn, go pretend to have sex with that man over there. I've done the lot. And I performed for about 35 minutes in front of 300 people who was in absolute hysterics at me. And afterwards, I sat down with my mates, all of my friends like that. I said, what's the matter? They said, what, Catty, what would you do that for? I said, do what? Walk we'll like a chicken, walk like a gorilla, get naked and pretend to shag that bloke. I said, I never did. They said, Catty, we got the proof. You've done everything. We, there wasn't such thing as digital cameras back then. Well, when we get back, we'll have them develop. We'll prove to you you've done the lot. Let me tell you, I denied everything. When in reality, in all honesty, I do remember what I was doing. And yes, I could have walked off that stage at any given time. But what I was doing was making 300, people, 300 plus people laugh hysterically at me. And guess what? I loved it. But I'd done it because I could wave that flag and deny all knowledge of it because I was apparently so, say, out of control. Unfortunately, that is the misconception that a lot of people have nowadays with hypnotherapy because they compare it with stage show hypnosis, which, if you excuse my friend, is a complete and utter load of bullshit. It's a load of crap. They misinterpret it. They miscomprehend what true hypnotherapy is actually. is a very powerful tool. And like I say, I credit an awful lot of my success in my chosen field to using hypnotherapy. I would not have gone anywhere as far without using it. So it works for some people. It works for me. It may not work for somebody else because we're all individual. We're all different. But for me, like I say, I'm unequivocal. And that's why I went as far as I did within my chosen career. So, Glenn, one question. Yeah. Where would you have drawn the line? I've done a lot, honest to God. I perform about 35 minutes. I have I kept my pants on though, but I'll let you know I kept my pants on. I was only pretending, I promise, but oh my god. Yeah, I would yeah, they would well this is it's funny you should say that because if the therapist was said to me, and I, I've done all those things. Making people laugh is sick. If the therapist had said, "Give me a gun," if he just said, "Put a bullet in the in the barrel," and I put, if he just said, "Shoot yourself in the head," guess what? I wouldn't have done it because it's impossible to make somebody do something you don't wish or desire to do. To have that kind of control over anybody's brain is simply impossible. I'd done it because I was caught up in the moment. I was making people laugh. I was loving it. This was my five minutes of fame. I could wave that flag and deny all knowledge of it. But in retrospect and in reality, you cannot make somebody do something they don't wish or desire to do. And I, 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 I was going to say, I don't know, Glenn, back in the day, the booze used to take charge of my brain. <laughs> <laughs> I've done, done loads of things I didn't want to do. <laughs> I was just going to say, if, if Macklin could blame hypnotherapy on some of the things he's gone up to down the years, then I'm sure he would. I'm sure he would. But we won't keep you much longer. But that, I think that was a really, really key point you just made there, which is that 
the visualization, in your case, hypnotherapy, these kinds of techniques, they can't make you something that you aren't. They're just designed to bring out what's already there if you like you know you've got to believe it like you said you've got to want it it's got to be something that's that's it's it's residual latent hidden maybe but it just helps you kind of extract it so just before we go um if someone's suffering suffering from from crippling nerves whether it's whatever reason it is sport related or not sport related um and you had kind of and you had 60 seconds to kind of tell them okay this is what i think you should go away and do um, just like simple little steps, what would you say to them? Just for people listening to this, whoever's listening to this, who's who's having a tough time with whatever it is. I'm sadly, with the time you've given me, I can't. Often, when clients come to see me for for a problem, when I used to treat clients, giving them the understanding of what they're thinking, feeling, reacting, responding the way they are, by showing them, giving them a, a consultation, is sometimes half the half the work done because you're giving that client an understanding of what they're thinking, feeling, reacting the way they are. Okay. I can't do that. I just simply haven't got the time. But visualize the outcome you want. Okay, just visualize what you want, and don't do it one or two times. Do it many, many times. And honestly, it sounds too far. It sounds far fetched, but just visualize it. And as Matt said earlier on, I mean, there's a the quote: "See it, believe it, make it, believe, make it happen." Okay, it's so powerful. And let me tell you, when you when you get good at it, the beauty of it is, is free of charge. It's free of charge when you get good at it. Matt, would you go? I guess you'd say a similar thing, would you? Oh yeah, of course. You, 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 but for me, the seeing, the believing, it, the, the the key part is the believing it. You know, because we all like to say everyone dreams, everyone wants to achieve great things, but you got to believe it. And I think the belief comes from putting in the action and day in day out, and then you start to realize, you know, doing things that you don't want to do or things you think you can't do, and then. It, it, that's why I think if you set yourself long-term goals, medium-term, and then short-term, and then break those short-term goals down into the day and just master the day, and then it gives you confidence because you achieve little, little goals that you that you can achieve, and it builds your confidence. And all of a sudden, the big goals now become believable. So uh, just one final one, because boxing is different to other sports. It makes different demands of you. So when... When it comes to nerves and fear and, and when you felt it for the first time and it was maybe more overpowering than, than it had been at any point previously or, or, or since, boxers aren't like normal people. And I, I say that with, you know, affection, uh, but you're not. Um, the fear was not of getting hurt or was it ever of getting hurt or was it of losing? Because for me, you see, this fight or flight idea People think, well, I'd probably rather run away than fight because fighting is probably going to be quite. It's probably going to be quite painful. But for you lot, it's not that, is it? That's not what you're scared of. You're scared of we're failing. Scared, we're scared of losing. We're scared of being disappointed. We're scared of. We're scared of our pride being hurt. Fight, fighters are proud men, and that that when you hurt, when you're hurting after a fight. It's not the broken nose or the broken jaw or any of that. It's not the body shots. It's the pride. It's your hurt pride. That's what's that's what's hurting you. And I go along with that, and I rep, you know emulate exactly what Matt just uh, Matt just said. Yeah, my biggest fear. I said this all along was letting people down. You know, and getting my pride being hurt. You know, when you're in a fight, for me it was the the, the whole emphasis. 
was the challenge. It was just me and him. That was the challenge, right? There's there's no swords, there's no guns, there's no knives. It's just me and you having a fisty cuffs. You know? And it was the challenge for me to beat that person. If he beat me, and I had been, I was, I did win them all. First of all, you know, I had to, I had to overcome that, and and, and look, go back, and look at the script, and say, right, what went wrong? Verily, there were there were reasons why why I lost, but uh, yeah, pride, as Matt just said, but for me, it was the biggest fear I had was letting people down. I didn't want to do that. Okay, so this time I really will let you go. But just before we do, just tell people where they can, you know, if, they, if they've listened to this and, and they, they want to get hold of you, they want to take these conversations further and, and, um, and look you up, how would they How would they do that? Um, by all means, I mean, I, Glenn, my, my name is Glenn, G-L-E-A-A. Look at my website, you can contact me, anyone. Glenn at glencallytalks.co.uk. Uh, if you want to contact me from there, if I can help anybody in any way, shape or form, if they listen to this, this, they think I might be to help them. They just drop me a line. You know, I'm always, I'm always here to help anybody, you know, in any way I can. I might not always have the answer, but all I say is there's, there's no harm in asking, you know. I'll do what I can, and as simple as that. I can't say no more than that, really. Well, Glenn, thanks very much for, for joining us on this one. It's been it's been really good fun. And like, like I said, it's, it's definitely a subject that people, well, just everybody knows, don't they? Everybody knows what it is what nerves are everybody knows how that feels everybody knows how how destructive it can be and how and how whoever you are whatever you do we've all had to try and find a way of 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 navigating it for some people it's a massive part of their lives they're unfortunate enough that any number of everyday things make them anxious and i can't really imagine what that what that is like particularly over the last 12 months or so so this is a real kind of it is a universal thing. It's, it's, it's different if, you, if you're really in the public eye like you were and like Matt was. Um, but, uh, yeah, I hope people have... I think Macklin's busting to I, say something. I'm, I'm going to jump in here because Glenn will laugh at this. He goes, you're right, Andy. Every, in every walk of life, everyone knows that feeling of nerves and stuff. But every boxer definitely knows it. And when, when you hear a fighter talking about how they were shitting themselves, you burst out laughing. You know, fighters... When they're laughing, they're laughing with them. It's the identification that they're laughing so hard from the belly because they've felt that feeling themselves, isn't it, Glenn? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but I think Matt would have, just before you're going to go out into a fight, and I know Matt will go along with this, let me tell you, there is not a drug on the market that can make you feel that way, the way you're just going to go out and challenge for a fight. As, as I believe, you, there's no drug that can make you feel that way. You're nervous, your anxiety is through the, you know, but listen, there's an excitement in you, which I, I cannot really emulate or put into words, you know, because all you want to do is go out. This is what you've worked towards for the last two or three months in the gym, training for it. This is, and you just, you just want to show everybody what you can do, you know, and there's not a feeling, as I said, there's not a drug on the market that can make you feel that way. No, I mean, you literally, your heart is pounding. When the whip used to come in and say five minutes and you'd finish up on the pads, that's when I'd get that boom. I'd get a massive blast of nerves then. But it was like, but it was good and bad. You know, it was nervous, but it was excitement. It was like, it was horrible, but it was amazing. It's, hard, it's, it's impossible to explain, isn't it, really? And that's invariably why some fighters can never give up, never hang their gloves up. They just keep, and they go on far too long because... They thrive on that. They live on that expectation of that buzz and that rush, that, that, that the pre-fight nerves that give them. And 
if you take that away from them, they have nothing left. And sadly, there's no, there's a massive void. And they, they struggle to find anything to, to fill that void. And invariably, why some fighters go down a real bad, bad road since when they hang up their gloves finally, once and for all. But what you just said there, another subject. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, it is. Yeah, well, we could do that. We could do that with you another time, definitely. But it just, but that's what's so insane about the whole thing because what you just said there, Matt, is is right. You know, you could oscillate wildly between thinking this is brilliant, this is where I've always wanted to be, to the next second thinking, what the fuck am I doing? You know, I'd rather be anywhere else. I mean, it's but trying to control that is. I've, I've had it. I've had it doing doing certain jobs, doing new things or whatever, and. You just, I don't know. It's, I'm not quite sure how I would keep a lid on that if I, if I was doing the kind of thing that you both used to do. But then again, you were trained to do it and you've been doing it for a really long time and I never yeah. have. And I suppose yeah. that's the answer. It's a process, isn't it? Your experience from your schoolboys to your juniors to the championships to boxing internationally to being in a different country to turning pro. You, you you grow with it and you learn to use it and to, you learn to harness it. Like I say, for me, fear was my friend. And, and that comes with experience as well, though. Okay. Okay. Well, we will, we will leave it there. I've done what I normally do, which is say that, you know, I'll, I'll let you go soon and then two and a half hours later. That means we've got we... 10 minutes left. <laughs> That's pretty much that. That's, that's, that. I can't argue with that. That's pretty much what happens. Um, so, Glenn, thanks very much. We'll, we'll definitely get you back on. This has been great fun. I hope everything... Matt, great to see you, pal. Cheers, Glenn. Thank and... you very much. Speak to you soon. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Thanks, mate. And we will catch everybody again down the road for our for our next one in a, in a week's time. Boxing's nearly back. February the 13th. Uh, there's a show, then the 20th. And... Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. It's it's always good to get some some action back. It does seem like it's been quite a long time, but but January is usually fairly empty. Um, take care of yourselves, everybody, and we will catch you again soon. Look out to Miss Lottie and old Lucy Brown Yes, that line falls on the right, babe Not that Maggie's Back in Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.